Well, good morning. We're going to open our Bibles here to 1 Timothy 5. How about I give you four reasons I'm really excited this morning? Does that sound like a good way to start off this morning? Reason number one, it's going to be 60 degrees on Thursday. Huh? Huh? If you're not excited about that, huh? Where have you been all winter? 60 degrees this Thursday. Second, I'm excited because, get this, um, Pastor Brandon, who's laboring hard to plant a church in Rochester, New York, actually has seven people signed up to be part of his core team. Listen, I'm not talking about his family. These are additional people. Beyond his family... I, how did he do it, right? I mean, he's actually talking people into this crazy adventure called church planning. That's great. Uh, and, and then, third, I'm excited because uh, this CSP thing this week is a huge deal. It's a big deal for high schoolers to be taking the gospel into their high schools, four of them, right? You need to pray about this every day. When you wake up in the morning, start praying for our high schoolers who are bringing the gospel into their high school, okay? Pray that it happens in all four high schools. And then this Friday coming up, hey, if you're a high schooler, get all of your friends here, okay? Lie to them and tell them we're giving away $1,000. I don't care. Just get them here because we're going to celebrate what God's doing in the whole region together at the regional rally this Friday. I'm really excited about that. And then the last reason I'm excited is because um, this past week, Thursday afternoon, eight uh, men who are in the training center for church planting up at Elgin, came down to our church, and they were here all afternoon to hear our story and to hear how we launched our church. And each one of those men is going out to launch a brand new harvest somewhere. There's two guys who are going to Romania. There's one guy who's going to Haiti. There's, and then the rest of them are going wherever. One of them's going to Flagstaff. And they were here, and I got to drive them around the community, show them where we had our launch team meetings, right? Show them where we met for the first year, and then stag, and then here. And our story is giving them confidence and hope that God is actually going to go and plant their churches. So uh, you're a part of a church planting movement in being here. And another eight harvests are going to come into existence soon. And our story is strengthening those guys. And it was good to meet with them this week. So I'm really fired up this morning as I get to preach the word. I'm really excited about what God's doing in his church here. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together uh, this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise for what you're doing in your church. We, we lift up to you, Lord, those high schoolers who are going to lead rallies in their school this week again. Uh, thank you, Father, that you are um, in their hearts awakening a desire to get the truth about Jesus to the ends of the earth um, and to bring it courageously to their fellow students during school or after school or wherever. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us such freedom in this country that this is legal and that they have no fear that what they're doing is acceptable. We just pray that the administration uh, would see that and that there would be no hindrance in any of these schools this week. Pray for an awesome rally this Friday. We thank you for Pastor Brandon as he's going out and working hard to start his church. Surround him with men and women, Lord, who have faith, who are going to help him and strongly support him and get the gospel moving in that city. And Father, we thank you for the Harvest Fellowship. We're just so privileged to be a part of a church planting movement. And bless those eight men who came down here this past week, heard our story. You're writing an amazing story in each one of them. And it's going to amount to a whole new church with all of these people who are being shepherded, raised up, and blessed by you. So give these men strength and faith as they're being trained to do a hard work. We give you all the glory, Lord. Speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, are you in 1 Timothy 5? Are you there? Are you there? 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Back in chapter 3, uh, the Bible started talking to elders in the church. And, um, and this book raises the bar for pastors and elders in the church. In fact, pastors and elders, leaders in the church, after chapter 3, we're all freaked out because of all those qualifications and, and just hearing what God expects us to be about was challenging. And here it's as if God's like, yeah, and I'm not even done yet. I'm coming back to you here in chapter 5, and we're going to go another round on elders and leaders in the church, right? So all the elders are flinching. We're like, oh, no, God's going to take another swing at us here. Um, but, but what's so cool is, first, first, before he says some more hard words to elders and pastors and leaders, first, he calls upon the church to encourage them and bless them. All right? This is an awesome sermon. It's just two verses. But God is going to call his people, his church, us, to pour out support and love 
on our pastors, on our elders, and on our ministry leaders so that they are filled up, healthy, supported, so that the enemy can't get at them. All right? That's going to be this week. So look at uh, chapter 5, verse 17. It says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. That's it. That's the two verses we're going to camp on this week. And look back at verse 17. The first question that's answered is, like, who are elders and what do they do? So it says, let the elders who rule well. Pause, pause, pause the tape. Let the elders who rule well. Um, Elders and pastors are supposed to lead in the church. And they're supposed to lead well. So you can write this down, number one. Elders and pastors must lead well. It's implied here that this is what they're doing. Elders are supposed to be ruling or leading well. Okay, well, what, what is an elder? Like, who's an elder and what's an elder? You can answer that question by looking at the words used in the New Testament for elder. Um, the word used here is um, a Jewish word. It's presbuteros. And um, every synagogue had an elder. So these Jewish believers grew up in a synagogue and they had these things called elders, right? Um, and... Uh, and then they led in the, in the synagogue. And then when, when these folks got saved, they started appointing leaders and they started calling them the same thing, elder, right? So it's a common word. It was known in the Jewish community. It's elder. Now, when you think of the word elder, you probably think old dude, right? Respect your elders. Like when I think elder, this is an elder, right? I think elder. I think like Gandalf, old, beard, wise, somewhat magical. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, elder. It's like, An elder, in this sense, is supposed to be mature. Not necessarily, you know, like old. It's not like there's an age limit, but he's supposed to be mature. He's supposed to be a guy who who you can trust his advice. Okay. Uh, There is another word used. So elder is presbuteros. Then pastor is um, poimino, and that's just a shepherd. So the word pastor was used to describe elders in the New Testament church. Okay, and so when you think of a pastor or a shepherd, check this guy out. He's got his flock on the go in the middle of this blizzard, right? He's not seeing 60 degrees this Thursday. Look at him working hard. Now, what you're seeing there is one image of what the New Testament uses uh, to describe an elder. It's an elder and it's a pastor. Those two words used to describe the same office. So there in that image, you see what these guys do. They look after the sheep. They protect the sheep. They lead the sheep. And that guy is showing you what an elder is all about. Another word, the third word used, is episkopos, which is overseer. So elder, pastor, overseer. And as the church spread out, they started taking this word from the Greek and the Roman circles, right? It basically just means like uh, an administrator or official who's in charge of overseeing a, a province or even a city. Okay, so picture like a city official. I googled Chicago city officials and all these mug shots came up, so I can't show you a picture. But, uh, but when you think of a city official, when you think of like even a mayor or even perhaps a governor of a region, that's the word here for overseer. Episcopos is the word for one who's in charge of overseeing and governing. All right? All three of those words are used interchangeably. So an elder is a pastor is an overseer. Okay? And, and each one of those words gives us a little facet of what an elder is. What does an elder do? It says here, let elders who rule well. Elders are supposed to rule well. Uh, the word rule is a compound word. It means to set over. So elders are set over the congregation, and they're supposed to watch over with that, and they're supposed to protect, and they're supposed to lead. Now, it implies in that word the fact that they're ruling and set over, it implies that the church is under the authority of the elders. There is a rank, and the church has to understand that it is set underneath the authority of the elders. This is a really, really important statement that I'm about to make. Elders do not get the authority from the church or from a vote. They get the authority from God. God gives the elder authority to rule over, to be set over the congregation, and therefore, whether you know it or not, whether you agree with it or not, whether you even like it or not, the Bible is teaching that the congregation is under the authority of the elders. Now, that includes the elders. 
So if an elder goes rogue, you're like, well, what happens if an elder goes rogue? What happens if an elder abuses it? He's under the authority of the elders too, okay? So the elders can sit an elder down and say, listen, this is not right, and we have the biblical uh, uh, you know, authority to hold you accountable. All elders have equal authority, but each elder is under the elders, all right? If that makes sense. If you're like, you know, if you've got past issue with leaders in the church, if you have some baggage and you'd really rather hear about how leaders are supposed to use their authority wisely, hey, come next week. All right, that's what next week is all about. The title of next week's sermon is Elders Gone Wild. Okay, and it's about putting leaders in their place and how dare you abuse the authority God gets. That's next week. That's next week. So just calm down. Calm down. This week the topic is how do we honor those leaders who God has put in charge of our church, who God has set an authority over us, how do we honor that authority that he has given them? They're supposed to rule. God has told them to rule, and God has put them in position to do so. But they're supposed to rule well. The word well means they're supposed to do it correctly or commendably. Okay, It's implied that they're supposed to be doing it well. They're supposed to rule well. Now, understand when it comes to elder, overseer, pastor, um, there are some pastors who are also, they have the office of elder. So I'm an elder in our church, and there are three other men who are elders in our church. Okay, so the four of us are pastor, elder, overseer in responsibility, and we also have the office. There are other pastors like Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Mark. They have the responsibilities and the qualifications and the calling and the spiritual gift of being a pastor, elder, overseer. But they don't have the office. Okay, they don't have the official appointment and the official, like, we're in charge of you know, these big things. But here's the thing. Because the elders appointed them, because they have that same gifting and responsibility, they are in this same camp. Okay? They're pastor, elder, overseer in responsibility. They do the tasks that are given to this group of people. They just don't have that official office, so they're not the ones who are actually in charge of making the decisions for the church. What do the elders who have the office handle? Three things. You can write this down. Doctrine, discipline, and direction. The elders in our church handle doctrine, discipline, and direction. Doctrine means elders are in charge of guarding the truth and teaching the truth. Okay? It means the elders watch over everything that's taught in small groups, Elders are mindful of everything that's being taught even in student ministry, kids' ministry. And if there's ever any question or somebody has some you know, a problem with what's being taught, it's the elder's job to step in and to guard the doctrine of the church. Um, man, how tragic it would be if anyone could teach anything and the elders are just like, go ahead, we don't care. It would be tragic because one of the tactics of the enemy is to pollute uh, the doctrine of the church. Now, this does not mean that the elders are going to teach you everything you have to believe about everything in Scripture. It's not the elder's job to clear up for you the debate between, you know, the finer points of Calvinism. It's not the elder's job to tell you what to believe about the end times or the rapture or eschatology. It's not the elder's job to totally clear up, you know, the mystery of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and how that works. And here's the thing. The elders are not policing the finer nuances of doctrine for everyone in the church. Sadly, in some churches, that's what they do. And uh, the elders like read systematic theology books and they see it as their job to be watchdogs of, of polarizing doctrinal issues. And they'll even continue to change the statement of faith you need to sign off on before you become a member. And you're like, holy cow, what do you mean I have to believe that? You know, I don't, that's, not the, that's not the point. Elders aren't supposed to tell you everything to believe about everything. They're supposed to set up the goalposts and to tell you when you are wide from what we believe. Okay, but there's many different things that we, uh, as a church, believe about things. Okay, the elders don't even have full agreement over finer nuances of doctrine in many areas, but they're within the goalposts. Okay, and if someone comes along and it's happened a handful of times and they have a view that's out there, okay, they have a view that's out there, or they want everyone to hold their view, even though there's multiple different ways to interpret a doctrine. Then we have to sit down with that person and say, listen, you know, here's like the spectrum of things that we would consider orthodox and beneficial. You're like here. Okay, so you either have to come within what we believe or you're going to have to go somewhere else because we don't believe that. Um, and even within the goalposts, if somebody's like right here, 
and they think everyone else should be right here. We'll have to sit down and say, okay, we appreciate your biblical conviction, but not everyone needs to be right here on this issue. You have to allow graciously for a different opinion. And if you keep telling people that they're not a Christian unless they believe this exact truth, then you can't be here because that's not the way we believe people should be taught or led. Uh, So we have doctrinal conversations about people. We've had people in our church who are trying to hand books out and, and, and these books are just teaching something that's out there. It's like it's out there. And, and okay, it's okay if you believe it. We can't necessarily say it's heresy, but stop being militant about it. Okay? Stop making this your mission because it's not our mission. And sometimes people leave because they can't believe that we don't believe exactly what they do. So the elders handle doctrine and they guard the doctrine. And they also handle church discipline. Elders seek to grow people in Christ. And part of that means we help people find freedom from sins that they're stuck in. Um, So we can sit down with couples, we can sit down with families, we can sit down with men and women, and we'll say, wow, it really sounds like you're stuck in this sin, you know, and uh, are you ready to help? let us help you get some freedom from that? And sometimes they are, and we've seen tremendous growth when the church rallies around somebody who needs some help. And other times we've had people fold their arms and say, who are you to tell me what to do? This is who I am, and I'm not going to change. And it's like, all right, dude, you're breaking your marriage and ruining your family. We're giving you a wake-up call here. And they're like, whatever, get out of my life. And then, you know, if they claim to be a Christian and they're a member here, then we have to start taking them down the process of church discipline. The, the purpose of church discipline is always restoration, okay? We're supposed to graciously help to reset that bone that's come out of joint. And if they won't, if their plan is to come and act like a Christian and sing to the Lord and not let go of their sin, we have to help them see that that can't happen. The way we do that is we gradually scale back their attachment to the church and then as a last, as a last resort we say, okay, listen, you just can't come anymore because you're being a hypocrite and you're lying and you're pretending to be someone you're not and God's not okay with that. Um, and there's only been a t- small number of people that we've had to do that to, um, but that's what, doc- that's what the elders do. They handle church discipline to help restore people to a right relationship with God. And then elders handle direction, doctrine, discipline, direction. The direction of the church just means discerning where's God leading us. It's everything from should we move the church, should we purchase something, um, who should we hire. And we take tremendous input from the congregation and from our larger leader team throughout big decisions. It's not like the elders wall themselves off and they're like, nobody's going to tell us what to do, right? Um, But at the end of the day, it's the elders who are in charge of making the decision and we'll stand before God for that. Write this down. This is important. God designed the position, the Spirit gives the gifting, and Jesus guides the process. I really want you to understand that elders are a God thing. God thought it up, uh, and the Father designed it. The Spirit is the one who gifted a person to be a pastor, elder, overseer, and Jesus is the one guiding the process, giving to his church elders. Okay, So it's a God thing. Um, And there are other models of how churches are led, Maybe you were raised in a different type of church leadership structure. Okay, some churches are kind of more deacon-led, and you didn't even really have elders. Um, other churches are just senior pastor-led, um, or maybe there's a board of leaders. Some churches have uh, a congregational vote, and it's implied that the congregation kind of leads the church, and everything small and big needs to be approved by a vote. Um, and then there's other churches that are kind of denominationally led. And there's a denominational hierarchy, and that comes in and basically has uh, the ownership of the property and decisions of the local church. Um, and you just need to know at Harvest, it is our biblical conviction that the church should be led by local elders. That's our biblical conviction. So if you're wondering how we're, what we believe about that, we have elders, and we believe that the church should be led by the local elders. We're an autonomous church. So sometimes people say, hey, you're connected to that harvest in Rolling Meadows, right? Like, do they give you all your sermons and tell you what to preach? It's like, no, that'd make it a lot easier, but no, they don't. (laughs) You know, I mean, do you have to give them money? No. Do they give you money? No, they don't. We're autonomous. Financially, in terms of the leadership and who we hire, in terms of our doctrine, we're autonomous. Now, they own the name. But we could become, you know, who knows, First Church of Palos Heights of 127th and what? We could change our name tomorrow and leave the Harvest Fellowship behind. Uh, but we choose not to. We choose to partner with Harvest because we have the same DNA and because we're a church plant from that, from that bigger church. 
So um, we're an autonomous church. Our elders are in charge of all of our finances. Uh, we're in charge of what we teach, who leads, and everything. Um, and our elders do a great job. They meet every other week. Um, most of the time that we meet, we talk about people, how to help people. But we also talk about some administration and some policies and um, just where the church is going. But really, um, elders are shepherds at heart. And this is reflected in 1 Peter 5, 2-4, where it says this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So it says... 17, let the elders who rule well. So we know who they are, we know what they do. Elders are ruling well. Then it says, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So number two, write this down. They must lead well. And number two, God's people should honor elders and pastors. God's people should honor elders and pastors. It says, consider them worthy. Consider them worthy. Because God has installed them, consider them worthy. And, and worthy of what? Worthy of double honor. Like, you know, like err on the side of giving them too much honor. Like twice as much honor as you would give ordinarily. You know, because you want them to feel like you're behind them. That you're supporting them. That you're for what God is doing in their lives and in your church. You don't want them to feel like you're a headwind. Standing in the way. Right? Pulling them back. Dragging them down. Slicing them up. No, no, no. You're supposed to be... Uh, giving them double honor. That means with what you say. Um, that means with how you talk about them. And that means with how you lead side by side with them. It says, let them be considered worthy of double honor. Lay it on thick. Now this applies to our elders who have the, vo- the uh, office of elder. But this also applies to the pastors who the elders have authorized to lead in our church. Right? Right? Because the elders in our church have raised up these pastors, delegated authority to them, so they can go and lead our youth ministry, so they can go and lead our worship and missions ministry. Okay, so you can't say, well, I'm behind the elders, but I hate Pastor Mark. It's like, well, wait a minute. The elders hired him and put him in place and authorized him to lead. So Mark is leading with the authority that the elders have given him. See that? And in addition, we have a whole leader team of ministry leaders, everywhere from ministry, from women's ministry, uh, to leaders in small group ministry, to leaders on our service teams like hospitality, parking, security. And when you talk to a ministry leader, when you interact and support a ministry leader, understand that that ministry leader has been given responsibility and authority from the elders, right? So if you're like, I just don't know about that Rodney leading security. I mean, I'm not with him at all. You're like, wait a minute. The elders have kind of put him in charge of what he's doing. So in challenging him and complaining about him, you're actually challenging the elders and complaining about them because they're the ones who have authorized what he's doing. Okay? So we're supposed to give honor, double honor to the elders, and we're also that should extend to the people the elders are putting in charge and hiring. They're worthy of our respect and they're worthy of our support. It says here, especially those who labor in the Word. This is also one way that we, I mean, all of our elders actually labor in the Word. So um, our elders are in charge of teaching, leadership training. Our elders are in charge of, um, you know, hiring pastors who then go and teach in the student ministry, you know, and who's teaching in our kids' ministry. Like, okay, so our elders do the teaching, but they also help hire people who do the teaching. So um, that's why I said here God's people should honor elders and pastors because those who are dealing with the Word of God um, need to be really encouraged and built up and supported because what they're doing um, is very special. It uses the word here, labor. They're worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It validates that this is toil. This is hard work. Maybe when you think of hard work, you think of like a mechanic, right? Who's get, check this out. This is a picture of somebody who's doing hard work. It's somebody who's all greased up, right? And probably got uh, fingernails that are all broken and calloused hands. And look out, that guy's about to do some hard work, right? But then when you picture like Mark sitting down at his desk and getting a devotion ready for college students, you know, you're like, he's not even breaking a sweat. You know, is that really like work? Or Pastor Jeremy getting chased around with laser tag guns on Sunday night. Like, is that really even work? 
You know, like, is it work? Uh, and, and the Bible says, yes, yes. Anyone who's sitting down, your small group leaders, they're sitting down, they're preparing a lesson, you know, to help you learn God's word. Wow, double honor, double honor. You've got twice, you know, you've got twice as much praise in my heart than I could even calculate you're worthy of because God told me to honor you. Wow, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching uh, and in teaching. Hey, are you going out of your way to support the elders, the pastors, and the leaders in this church? Are you going out of your way to honor them? Are you going out of your way to give them grace, to speak highly of them, to give them support? Or are you kind of cold towards them? Are you kind of just slowing them down? Are you kind of just eyeing them with suspicion? You know, because the Bible says you should be laying it on thick. Not because they're some brand of awesome, but because God has given them authority to lead and you're supposed to help them to do it with joy so that it's not a burden. God's people should honor elders and pastors. It helps to know what what they do, so you can, you know, respect that. I mean, sometimes people will say, what do pastors do? I mean, do you just work one, one day a week, and then, you know, the rest of the week, are you like, some people are, I just don't even really know what you do. Um, but needless to say, you know, our uh, Pastor Mark, me, and uh, Pastor Jeremy, you know, it, it's uh, 50, 55 hours a week of work, you know, and uh, every week, turn in our schedule, and here's where, here's where the hours went last week, and usually broken up into three areas, you know, uh, teaching, so for me, you know, it's a good 10 to 15 hours a week preparing a sermon from scratch. It's not like I go to sermons.com and print up the latest. You know, it's like built from nothing. God teaching me, I, then I over, out of the overflow of that, I bring it to you. And then on top of that, then there's leadership, leader development, leader training, staff management. Then on top of that, there's shepherding. Those who need care, those who need correction. Hours, just helping to know what people are going through, how we can help them. You know, 50, 55, busy week, 60, 65, and, and it's hard work. It's long work. It's late nights. It's early mornings, and sometimes God's people just don't know that. Um, when it comes to our non-staff elders, which would be uh, in our office elders, like Mike Kiowski, Mike Brooks, Ken Henley, I mean, these are men who have jobs. They work their full job throughout the week, and then they put in an additional 10, 15, 20 hours of, of teaching God's people of sitting down and helping couples who are in trouble, of, of chasing down prodigals who are running away, of talking to men who are stuck in some sort of sin. I mean, you're talking, it's virtually a part-time job some weeks, and all they're doing is just serving the church, leading the church, loving the church, right? And these are elders who, they could be at home watching television, and instead, they're giving of themselves for the strength of the church. It's hard work. It's toil. And because of it, God is calling us to honor them, to support them, to respect them. How do we do that? Well, uh, we challenge everyone to work for Christ and to walk with Christ. So you're no doubt in a small group, hopefully, and you have a, you know, a leader who you know, the elders have kind of appointed to lead your small group. Maybe you're on a ministry team, and on your ministry team, there's somebody who's leading that team. You know? Maybe you have the joy of actually serving right by one of our pastors on the worship team or in the student ministry. And and right, or uh, you're a flock leader and you get to see the elders. But here's the thing. When you get around the leaders, um, how can you support them? How can you encourage them? How can you honor them? Um, here's a couple of ways. You can write these down. They're not in your notes. But be an adder, not a subtractor. Be an adder, not a subtractor. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> an adder, when given a responsibility by a leader, um, goes all out. To do, their, to do their part and to do it with joy. So because you're on the schedule, because you showed up to that small group that day, things should go better. You know, like you should come prepared, you should arrive early, you should bring a joyful attitude, and because you're doing it, because you're nailing it, because you're rocking it, the leader should be like, awesome, so glad you're a part of the team. A subtractor kind of does the least, shows up late, isn't prepared, isn't really participating, and just kind of drags things down. All right, and uh, you know we uh, we have we've had some people in the past who have kind of pushed back against our challenge that we want people to bring their best to the church. And even on Sunday mornings in kids ministry, you know, we had a woman who was showing up five ten minutes late, walking in with her Starbucks when when the ministry has started. 
And it's like, we had to say, hey, listen, can you like get there on time? And it's like, and, and the attitude we got back is kind of like, well, you know, you're really lucky I'm even there because I, I don't need to serve. And it's like, wait, okay, you're volunteering, but do you realize you're volunteering your best for the King of Kings? Do you realize this is for Jesus and he challenges us in the Bible to do your best to present yourself as a workman approved who doesn't need to be ashamed? You're not doing your best right? What would happen at your real job if you showed up 5, 10, 15 minutes late, right? Even Starbucks would fire you for that. And here at church, you're not even giving the bare minimum of what could happen there. And, and we challenge people to see that because this is for the king, he deserves our best. So we want people to be adders. Things should go better when you're scheduled. When you're in the small group, things should go better because you're there, because you're participating. So be an adder, not a subtractor. And then write this down, be a multiplier, not a divider. Be a multiplier, not a divider. What does a multiplier do? Now, a multiplier doesn't just show up on time and come prepared and do their best. They help all the other people in the room to do their best, right? So they take some newer people and they challenge them, hey, this is worth it. Christ is, you know, our king. Let's do our best. Um, They encourage other people, hey, it seems like you're really down and you know what? Let's pray together so we can have an awesome spirit today. And in small group, you know, these people don't just open up in small group. They challenge other people to open up in small group too, right? I'm not just going to be at small group and open up. I'm going to challenge you to open up too. Now I'm being a multiplier. Now I'm helping to disciple other people. That's called mutual ministry. And guess what? Your leaders and your pastors and your elders are like, wow, I'm so glad he's here today because he's talking to her and he's the one who's bringing the best out of her. That's so great. But don't be a divider. Um, What does a divider do? A divider brings a critical spirit, a negative attitude, and a divider complains about leaders to other people, either to their face or behind their back. So the way a divider works is they're there, you know, but um, when they interact with other people, they're kind of undercutting the ministry leader. They're kind of undercutting the way we do things. They're kind of dragging things down and, and basically just becoming a current. You ever make a whirlpool in a pool where you go around and around and around and around, right? You talk to this person and it feels like you turned around in a whirlpool and they're just like resisting everything that's going on in the ministry, right? Um, it could be subtle or it could be direct. It could be intense or it can be more understated. But the point is a divider will not support the leader or what the leader is trying to accomplish, okay? And it's fine. If you have a disagreement, by all means, we're not saying that our leaders are doing everything right or perfectly, but it's just not God's plan for you to show up to drag down a leader or to work against what they're trying to accomplish, okay? That's not God's plan. And uh, what we have to do is we have to make sure that we're honoring the elders and pastors by supporting those leaders who have been put in charge by them. Um, And we're doing it in a way that's constructive and supportive. This is what God's calling uh, for In his church, it says, Let the elders who rule, verse 17, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So let's honor those leaders. Let's honor those pastors. Let's honor those who are helping to lead. And then it says this For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. All right, so. Pretty much what happens here is the Apostle Paul reaches for two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, um, which is uh, Deuteronomy 25.4. says, you know, well, hey, the Old Testament says, do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then he reaches for something the Lord Jesus said in Luke you know, 10.7, um, where it, he says, Jesus said, the laborer deserves his wages. Okay, And the bottom line is he moves from, hey, they're leading well, they deserve your honor and support, And you know what? We need to actually take care of their material needs. Last week, we talked about helping women in need and how the church has to have benevolence set up so that we're actually meeting the real needs. And now he talks about how, yeah, I want you to see your elders and those who are leading and teaching. But listen, those who have like stepped away from their vocation and now this is their thing, preaching and teaching and pastoring and shepherding. Listen, listen, meet their needs. Meet their needs. Okay, so write this down. Number three. God's people should financially support those who shepherd them. It's a call to us as a church to make sure that we are meeting the material needs of our pastors. It's a call to us as individuals to make sure that we have a heart to embrace that command to meet the needs of those pastors who are shepherding us. All right, so the first thing it says here in verse 18 is, the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. This is originally in Deuteronomy, it was just kind of how not to farm. It's how not to farm. 
I didn't grow up on a farm, but when the Bible here says, do not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain, it means the ox kind of walks across the grain on the threshing floor, separates the grain from the stalk, from the chaff, that that leads then to me being able to go on and make food to feed my family. And the farmer who muzzles the ox so that the ox who's treading out the grain can't eat, what's going to happen to the ox if he can't eat? Come on, shout it out now. He's going to stop working, and then eventually he'll... What happens when the ox dies? No food for the... For the family, okay? I didn't grow up on a farm, and I figured this one out. (laughs) Bad farming. Muzzle the ox. I can't eat. I can't eat. He can eat. I can't eat. Now I'm dead. (laughs) Bad farming. Well, the New Testament here takes this bad farming and turns it into a spiritual principle. So the same truth applies in the church. If the church muzzles the ox and refuses to take care of the pastors, you know, or the elders then what happens? They get worn out. They get weary. They've got it. They get distracted, and then they get weak. And then what happens? Then the way they're feeding the church is affected, so the church doesn't eat properly or at all. All right? So uh, the animal doesn't eat. The farmer doesn't eat. And in this case, if the pastors aren't taken care of, the flock will suffer. The spiritual food that is being given to the church will suffer. Um, God's people should financially support those who shepherd them. Write this down because they feed you spiritually. Because they feed you spiritually. Just as the um, ox is driven to walk over the grain, it leads to food for the farmer's family. So, so God's ministers labor in the Word and that produces spiritual food during the week. So, so your health and wellness depends on their health and wellness. Your spiritual provision depends on their spiritual provision. Um, check this out. This is a picture of a farm animal. The farm animal. And, and what, what you see there is something that brings food to the farmer's family. And, you know, and it's not flattering, but that represents the ministers in the church. <laughs> That's me. Uh, and what that, what that cow would produce for the farmer represents kind of what I do, what Jeremy does, what Mark does, is we provide nourishment, spiritual nourishment, Right? So um, we're supposed to note that connection that they feed you spiritually. Therefore, if the pastors are well-fed, if our elders are loved, then you'll be well-fed and loved. And if the pastors or the elders are suffering or feeling neglected or not being provided for and they languish, right, then, then they will end up being injured themselves and they'll end up injuring the church. Um, now, this is actually a great morning for me to be able to just brag on our church. I mean, our church has done a fantastic job of loving and caring for the pastors and elders. I'm, I'm just preaching through the book of Timothy. It's not like I woke up and I said, you know what, our people need to love the pastors better, so I'm going to preach this topic today. It, this is just the next topic that came up in the book, and God wanted us to hear about it. But, I mean, I love how our church has gone above and beyond to care for our pastors and our elders. I mean, for, for, for my own part, uh, I mean, I'm constantly getting cards or texts from people in our church just saying, I'm praying for you, uh, or an email saying, hey, this, this thing that you said in the sermon just really blessed me or helped me, and it's just like a steady stream of encouragement into my soul. And it just lifts me up, you know, and uh, I hear from Pastor Jeremy and Mark the same thing. Jeremy telling me, you know, somebody just took me out. I didn't know what the meeting's going to be about. And he said, hey, I just wanted to encourage you and tell you you're doing a good job and buy you some Portillo's. And I'm like, why wasn't I invited? I love that. I love that. People just looking for ways without being asked to just encourage pastors and elders and leaders in the church. Um, you know, I, I, in the past, our church has done great things. Were you there at that cookout the one day when the, the church bought me and Lauren mountain bikes? They just, you know, we got a surprise for you. We want to give these to you. And they just rolled out these mountain bikes. It was like, wow, how thoughtful and cool is that? Um, we've had people just anonymously do yard work at our house. We just show up and like all of our fall yard work is done and the bags are on the street. And we're like, who did this? Well, I, I, it's not our neighbor because we know him and he would never do that. So it's got to be someone else. And I mean, it's just awesome. People have bought us, brought us food at night and given us gift cards for whatever. And um, wow. And you know, back when I was first in ministry, uh, just to brag on my first church, like, I was a teacher, and so being called into ministry totally changed our plans. And this church could barely pay 
uh, you know, barely pay me. And Lauren was staying home with our two little girls back in 2004. And this church was filled with loving people who just stepped up and blessed us and supported us. And, and even outside the church, um, some people contacted me and said, hey, you're a pastor now. Are you thinking of getting like a Bible education? And I'm like, yeah, but my wife's staying home and I got this new job and I don't know how I would even afford to go to Moody Bible Institute. And without even asking, people just approached me and said, all right, just write us a letter. I've got a company. We support missionaries and pastors. And, and then out of nowhere, this, you know, a check comes in the mail and like my whole first year of seminary is taken care of in an instant. And then the next year, uh, two or three other people step up without being asked. And they're like, can we help? Can we help? And, and you know, end of the story, four and a half years, five years of seminary, you know, over $25,000 and I didn't have to pay a penny. And I never asked anyone. They just knew and saw and reached out and they just helped. They just did it. And I mean, how amazing is that? We couldn't have afforded that at the time. And then when I was called to go into the Harvest Training Center in 2008, And now I'm leaving my secure youth ministry job behind and I'm going into who knows where, planting a church. And then I I go in the fall to Elgin and start training and then both of our cars break down. Both of them. Boom, boom. And it's like, Lord, I'm going to go out and plant a church for you and you let both my cars die. You must not love me. And what did he do? What did he do? We didn't even ask. You know, uh, for the one car, we, we, we raised, you know, much more support than we needed to plant the church. And man, wow, we got to... Get a car payment started with the rest of that. And then for the other, somebody just like said, hey, we're going to give you a car. We were going to trade it in and sell it. But here, we know you need one. You're planting a church. Here, just take it. We're like, this is so amazing. People are so loving. So I have personally just been so blessed by people taking initiative to show love and support um, in our church and in our last church. And, And these people understood. You could tell they just genuinely appreciated what we were doing how we had impacted their lives. They didn't have to be asked or scolded. They just, they like sprang into action and they just looked for a need and they met it. And I'd love for that to permeate the culture in this church. I'd love for you to be looking at that pastor or small group leader or ministry leader and being so thankful for what they're doing. Knowing the elder who's just finished his job has put in 20 more hours a week and maybe you're at the tail end of that 20 hours when he sits down with you and spends two hours. And wow, you're so thankful for that and so grateful that he would do that. And know that this is the way Jesus wants his church to be filled with support. Um, This is a Jesus thing. Uh, It says here in verse 18, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And then it says here, The laborer deserves his wages. Jesus said in Luke uh, 10, 7 and verse 11, He said, The laborer deserves his wages. The context of that was He was sending out his, His disciples and apostles into the cities ahead of Him. Okay, and here's, here's what Jesus said. He said, leave your wallet at home when you go. Huh? Leave your wallet at home when you go. Okay, just leave that at home. Now what? Go to the town. Okay, I'm at the town. Now what? Preach the kingdom of God, and there should be people in that town who figure out, I sent you, they should provide for you. They should just figure it out. And... And that's how he sent his disciples out. And the people who were being ministered to by Jesus' apostles were supposed to be like, he told you to bring nothing? Get in here. I'll give you a place to sleep. I'll give you some food. I'll give you some, right? They're just supposed to figure that out. Jesus wants the people to know that there's this connection between those who are ministering and those who are being ministered to. In 1 Corinthians 9.14, the apostle Paul references Christ's words. He says this, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So I don't want you you know, to uh, do it on your own. I want God's people to provide for you. So God's people should live in a way that embraces this command and the church should also embrace this command. So that brings us to this last point here. God's people should financially support those who shepherd them because they feed you spiritually. And write this down, because their hard work merits compensation. Their hard work merits compensation. It says here, the laborer deserves his wages. Um, what Jesus, the, the word he used here for laborer would be like somebody who works your farm. So the laborer who just worked your farm all day long, of course, when he came to your door at the end of a hard day's work, would expect a paycheck, right? He just worked your farm so your food grows up, so you can collect it, feed your family, and sell it in the market. Just as the laborer deserves his wages, it challenges us to not see 
those vocational ministers who we have on staff as like charity cases. It, it's not like they're starving musicians with an with a open guitar case and you kind of throw in a few pennies and wish them well. No, no, it's, it's like a legitimate profession. It's a job. It's a job that deserves, there's, there's a debt there, there's um, an obligation that the church has to meet their needs. Um, and you've all had different jobs in your life. I don't know what your starter jobs were. I worked at McDonald's as a fry cook. That was my first job ever. And then I worked at Walmart. I pushed carts in the lot so that everyone could go shopping. That was my second job. I delivered teeth to dentists. You ever get a, you know implant tooth, whatever? I was the one who delivered the tooth from the person who kind of made it to the person who had this pretty hip college job. Just got to sit in my car all day long and tooth delivery. Um, Kind of like the tooth fairy, only a little different. Not as magical, you know. Then I was a teacher. I was a teacher for four years. And, you know, each one of those jobs, it's like I make the burgers and then, you know, I don't do it. I do it because, you know, at the end of the day, there's compensation. And, and here, this, this makes it legitimate that in the church, there would be this setup where there's compensation for the vocational ministers. There were some ministers and apostles and evangelists in the early church who would be directly fully supported by the church so they wouldn't have to go off and be bivocational. Then there were times where the Apostle Paul would have to do both. But this is really legitimizing that setup that it can become a job within the church. I really do um, think our elders are doing this right. They have a a great way that they go about making the um, pastors who are on staff here feel like their job is appreciated and um, I think our budget reflects that our, our greatest investment is in staff members who are going and making disciples. Buildings don't make disciples. Staff members do. So, you know, over about 55% of our budget is dedicated towards uh, hiring and supporting all of our staff members, right? Because that's how the gospel goes forward. Um, our elders each year take every staff member through annual reviews. So it's documented. It's according to, you know, objective criteria. They do all sorts of research on all the staff salaries and they figure out median range and the value of each position and, and they, they aim to be generous and, you know, it's a legitimate thing. It's a legitimate thing. Um, and that just shows at the heart level that our pastors are highly valued by our elders. And this is a commendation to our elders to keep that up, but it's also a challenge to us as individuals to make sure that we understand that the hard work of those who are blessing us with their ministry merits compensation. You know, when Lauren and I give to the church, you know, when we support the ministry here through our offerings, one of the things I know is Pastor Jeremy on Sunday night is teaching and ministering to our daughter. Like, we drop her off, and his hard work all week long is going into her soul, and he's helping us as parents, and we need a lot of help as we have three kids growing up. And wow! All of his work throughout the week that we personally invested in is now bringing a blessing to our family. You see, we get that connection. We understand that supporting him, feeding him, nourishing him, making it so he doesn't have to worry about where, where the next paycheck is coming from, lets him focus on our daughter and brings a blessing into our home. See that? That's the connection. And the point is, if we keep our pastors loved and supported and encouraged, and um, then we get to reap the blessings from that. So this is a good point to just challenge you. The Bible is flat out challenging us as a church to make sure we financially um, give the laborer his wages and that we're meeting the needs of our pastors and their families. But how are you doing individually at applying this truth into your heart? You know, if the Bible is saying that those who are ministering to you um, create this blessing that you should then in return uh, support them for that, how are you doing at giving to the church so that the pastor's in this church and their families are properly cared for. Um, are you giving to the church and are you doing so sacrificially and generously and cheerfully in obedience to the command of the Lord? Because this is the way that he wants it to be. He wants God's people out of the overflow of their heart to give to those ministers who are supporting their family and blessing their ministry. Um, are you doing that? Um, there are many different awesome ways to give within the church. You know, there's Christian radio and there's Compassion International, and there's Christian school, and I would give to all of those things in a heartbeat. But hey, one of the most fundamental things you learn in the New Testament is you have to know those who are ministering directly to you, and you have an obligation to support them directly, financially, so that their needs are met. All right, Pastor Jeremy and his family just added a brand new baby into their family a couple months ago. Wow. Listen, every time they go to the doctor, 
every time they go to the grocery store, every time he fills his tank up with gas, that comes because someone in this room believes in what God's doing in his ministry. 100% funded right here in this room. And when you understand that, wow, he's doing a thing that blesses the next generation of Christians and he can do it full time because I'm working hard throughout the week to support that ministry, then Christ is saying, amen, you get it. Amen, you get it. So whatever else you support, whatever else you give, remember that you should first give to your local church to support those who are directly blessing you. Uh, It says their hard work merits compensation. This is also just the fundamental of uh, worshiping the Lord. Um, You know, in the Bible, Psalm 96.8, we'll put it up on the screen, says this, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And we do that every Sunday. Bring an offering. Bring an offering. Just really early on in your Christian faith, someone should tell you, hey, by the way, bring an offering. Give to your local church. It's how you worship. Come, sing yes, but bring an offering. And if you're not doing that, let me just challenge you to make sure that you bring that so that our pastors can continue to know that you love them and you're behind them and you support them. Let me just close out here by saying this. Think of a way in the next couple of weeks to support those who are leading in this church. Find a small group leader or a ministry leader or someone who you interact with in whatever ministry and find meaningful ways to communicate your love for them, your encouragement for them. Honor them, right? Give them double honor of whatever you estimate that they they would deserve. Find ways to truly reach out to them and to show them love because, because Christ says he wants you to be behind them and to support them so that they can do their job with joy. Let's Let's all this week and in the next couple of weeks just find meaningful ways to fill this church with encouragement so that our elders, our pastors, our leaders are truly filled up with the Spirit and they're encouraged as they do a hard job. Okay, let's pray right now and let's just close in prayer for our elders and for our pastors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we just go through this book in 1 Timothy, you direct our attention to places that we maybe wouldn't ordinarily by choice spend time and. And here I'm just so grateful that you give us the opportunity to think about how to love our elders, our pastors, and our leaders. How to support them, how to honor them, so that their ministry is done with joy. And Father, my prayer is just that you would help God's people to reach out with encouragement and support. To say things that are supportive, to say things that are kind, to say things that show gratitude for the hard work and the decisions that are being made. And Father, I just pray that you would empty out the spirit of division and complaining and backbiting and gossiping. And and Father, just help all that to find its righteous end. And we just pray that as the leaders are supported and built up, we just pray that your church would be filled with worship as the gospel goes forward unhindered. Bring about strength in the hearts of our leaders. Bring about encouragement, Lord, from those who are serving beside them. And I do pray specifically for our elders. Bless them, Lord, as they work hard for the gospel. We just pray that they would do it knowing that you are watching over them, you are strengthening them, you are calling them, and you are using them. I thank you for the godly men who we have serving as elders and pastors. We're so grateful for them, Lord, and we lift them up to you that you would greatly strengthen the work of their hands so that nothing would stand in the way of the word of God spreading. We love you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.